This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start, guys. It's Perak Membe's Pasuk Dalid. We say, So Binyamin, the brother of Yosef, Yaakov did not let him go with the rest of the Shvatim down to Mitzrayim. Because it said, Maybe some tragic thing will happen to him. I'm worried that some tragedy will happen. So Ben Esau came to buy food along with all the other people that came. Because it was his hunger in the land of Canaan. And Pasuk Vav, Yosef was the ruler over the land. He was the one who gave out the food to everybody in the land. It says, All the brothers of Yosef came, the Shvatim came, and they bowed down to him to their faces to the ground, which obviously was the key of the dream itself. So we're going to deal with all three Pesukim and go into things by each Pasuk over here. Number one, Yaakov was worried that an us was going to happen to Binyamin, that a tragedy was going to happen to Binyamin. So could a tragedy not happen at home? Would it happen to be on the road? It had to be on the road? What was he worried about that he said, I'm worried about a tragedy befalling Binyamin while he's on the road and more than anything else? What was he worried about? So Rashi says, we learn from Yaakov's actions that the Satan is Mekatrik, he accuses during a time of Sakana, a time of Ra'av, during a time of hunger. So if a person is putting himself in a situation which is normally safe, it's normally safe to go outside, but if you put yourself in a situation, you put yourself outside when it's dangerous, the Satan is Mekatrik. You go driving when it's really icy and a horrible storm outside, then the Sultan's Makatrik. That doesn't mean chas v'shal, that you're going to get into a car crash. It's not a guarantee whatsoever. It's just that once the Sultan is already accusing, once the Sultan's already involved, then chas v'shalom, something could happen. Since he saw there was a rub outside, it already was in midas adin mode. Things were going badly at the time. So Yaakov said, I'm not sending Binyamin. I'm worried about the effects that this will have on Binyamin. I would normally be able to send him. I'm not sending him now. Now when there's bad things going on. What kind of tragedy are we really worried about here? What is this? Ibn Ezra says he's worried about death, which is pretty extreme. He's worried that Binyamin is going to die. Ksav Kabbalah says Ason literally is a tragic death in some way, shape, or form, where it could be through another person, it could be through HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but there is a tragic death involved where somebody dies in a tragic way. Panim Yafo says in Bechoros Daf Lamed that Yaakov was worried about a few things over here. It wasn't just the tragedy of death like the Ibn Ezra says. It was a little bit more. At first he was worried about wild animals. Worried about wild animals which he felt had already attacked Yosef at Tzadik years earlier. Remember, right, he said Torof Toraf Yosef. Yosef had already been attacked by wild animals. So he's worried the wild animals are going to meet Binyamin on the road. But he also was worried about thieves and armed robbers who were roaming the past for unsuspecting travelers. Because remember, this is a rug. People are desperate for food. They're desperate for money. So people are willing to do anything, so he's worried about that. But not only was he worried about those types of things. Binyamin was a person who had never been Nisisa Chafragla. He wasn't outside the house much. And if so, he wasn't used to changes in the weather patterns. So Tzinimu Pachem, where it gets really cold all of a sudden, or really hot all of a sudden. He might not be able to protect himself very well from the elements outside. So in order to protect himself from the Tzinimu Pachem, you have to know your way around. And he's really worried about that. Binyamin didn't have the experience to know if it's going to get really hot, if there's going to be a storm, there's going to be a sandstorm. He just wouldn't know about these things. And because of that, he said, don't let Binyamin go because he's worried about just simple things that might make him sick and he doesn't have the antibodies to be able to keep him there. I, I don't want to get into the whole anti-vax thing, but I'm assuming they were all not vaccinated back then. That's the assumption, right? The assumption is that way. So that's Pani Miafos. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says Yaakov was not normally this paranoid. We're not dealing with somebody who is that paranoid. But we, he knew we paskin trey zimni havi chazaka. Two times makes a chazaka when it comes to death. Since his mother, Rachel Imenu, and his brother Yosef at Tzadik had died on the road, 
or so we thought, obviously, he thought that Yosef Atzadik had died. So Rachel had died on the road, right, when they were on the road. Yosef Atzadik, when he was traveling to the Shvatim, died on the road. Trey Zimni Havi Chazaka. Two times makes the Chazaka. That's Machlokis Rebbe Roshim Megamliel. We paskin like Roshim Megamliel when it comes to animals, like goring and things like that. We paskin like Rebbe when it comes to death. If a woman marries a man once and he dies, then a woman marries a second man and he dies. That's a chazaka. We have to worry that maybe this is a killer. Maybe this woman should not be married to a third guy. That's trezimni havichazaka. It goes by a man as well, right? That concept of trezimni havichazaka. Whether we pass in that we are not regarding getting married again, over here, Yaakov Vinu felt that that was a good enough chazaka for Binyamin Atzadik. It's happened by Rachel. It happened by Yosef. I'm not letting it happen a third time. I'm not letting him out. That's the Rabbeinu Ephraim said, and that's why you wouldn't let him travel. Yeah. Can you, take, can you add a name on things? I don't know if it works for this because they're all from the same family. So maybe he thought that everybody from the same family would have this problem. But I don't know. Yeah, Paul. Um, we know that the dream of Yaakov, uh, that Yosef had was that 11 sheaves. Yeah. We've all found out. Well, this is going to turn because Yemen wasn't there. So, so I, I will tell you, the first dream does not say how many sheaves of wheat bow down to him. It just said, they all got up and they bowed down to him. It does not say in the Pusik, 11 sheaves of wheat bowed down to him. It just said, sheaves of wheat of the brothers that represented the brothers bowed down to him. So it could have been 10. I don't know. But that's a really good call. I'm assuming that that's what it referred to. Okay. That's where I've been O'Brien. The Tam Bedas, Rav Sturmbach says, the Yaakov thought perhaps there was a Tviya on Rachel Emenu. And he wasn't sure why. But maybe there was a Tviya in Shemaim, something that was wrong in Shemaim, because of things she had done in this world. I just want you to think, Rachel Imenu had done them, some things that were a little bit questionable. She gave in to love and allowed Yaakov to marry Leah, causing her to be a second sister with Leah. Who said that she had to go marry Yaakov after that? So cause it to be Achosishto. You didn't have to do that. Maybe her argument with Yaakov, who's saying, I want to have a baby, you're not davening hard enough for me, maybe that was something that she deserved a punishment for. Maybe the fact that she gave up her bed with Yaakov one night in order to get the Dudayim from Leah's son Reuven. Maybe that was something there. She also, remember, stole Lavan's Trophim and didn't admit doing so. There were a lot of things that Rachel Aminu did that in theory she could be punished for. And Chazal already go into these things. Each one of them is something that in theory she could have been punished for. Maybe Yaakov, who didn't know what the Torah said about each thing that Rachel Aminu did, but he did know that certain things happened. Maybe that's why her children were being lost. Maybe her children were going to be gone. She herself died. And then Yosef, and maybe now Binyamin, because of things that Rachel Amenu did, and that's what he was worried about. So he assumed, keep Binyamin by me. If Binyamin's by me, he's under my auspices, he's under my, uh, let's say, my, my hashkafa, I'll be watching over him at all times, I know nothing will happen to him. But because he has that via in Shemaim, Rachel Amenu has that via in Shemaim, I don't want to let him out. Rashi and Bavavasar, Dabchaf Aleph, actually poskins from this. We do not allow little children to travel from city to city to learn Torah. Why is that important? Because if you sit there at the city council meeting and you say, we must hire a teacher for the kids in our school, in our, in our city, and the other people get up and say, we don't have enough kids to afford it, you know, for that to be affordable for us. We're not hiring a teacher. If you want a teacher for your kids, send your kids to the other city. The people of that city can force them to bring a teacher in and not let their kids travel because letting a kid travel is always considered dangerous. How do we know letting a kid travel is dangerous? From Yaakovino and Binyamin. Even though Binyamin was old at this time, he was 20 years old at this time, we're not talking about a little kid. Binyamin already had 10 kids by this time. 
But nonetheless, we don't allow somebody to travel, if they're a kid, based on this area. You must use the taxes to go hire a teacher. And that's a real nafkamina, a real, real nafkamina. If you, can you force kids to go out of town in order to go there, or do you hire people to come to the city? Do you find the money to make schools in your city so that kids don't have to leave? And what is the age of those kids? What's the age of some kid like that? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. But what would be the best thing for it? That's one of those things out there. I wonder, like if you live in a city, let's say, like, that's bigger but not so big, like a Milwaukee or a St. Louis or a, let's say, you know, something like, uh, like Minneapolis. Are they required to make a school that will fit the children of that city in order for them not to go out of town? Right, to put some yeshivas out of business. But are you required to do so? And if that school is there, according to this idea that Rashi says based on Baba Basra, Chafal, and Aleph, right, if that would be so, are you allowed to send your kid out of town? Are you allowed to put him in danger, quote unquote? Is that considered in danger? I'm sorry? What's the age? I don't know. I, I don't know what the age is. I don't know what's considered the danger. Back then, it was probably dangerous to travel. Is it still considered dangerous to travel with airplanes? Yeah, yeah. Around three, four, five. Yeah, maybe. Let's say. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, because that would be a yeah. That would be strange. Exact to expect a three or four. But once they're ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, maybe that's different. I, times of Babasar. So we're talking two thousand years ago, right? Most kids were illiterate and didn't read. I, I don't want to say most. Remember, the kids that were Jewish were all taught as much as they could. So I think they but did even, have a lot. Even Jews, that's why there was like. Even so, okay, okay but we, uh, the whole. I, I want to, there's four blot in the second paragraph of Babasra that go through the chiyuvim of teaching kids, etc. So that's what it's referring to. So it's going through that. So I don't know. Ayelis Shachar says the truth is Yaakov probably only thought this, but not say it out loud. He didn't say out loud anything since that, that would have been a pistol and pet. He did not say out loud. Don't let Binyamin go because there will be an asson, there will be a tragedy. He already learned that lesson really well from Rachel. He said out loud, whoever took that of Vodazara should die. And Rachel Aminu died because of the words that Yaakov Aminu said, he opened up his mouth to the Sultan by saying such things. I doubt he actually said the words, there will be a son. So when it says, ki amar, he said, it doesn't mean he literally said it the way the Ayala's Chakra is saying it. It really means he thought it. I shouldn't do this because maybe something will happen. Yeah. I don't know if he knew, but he must have put things together. He had just said it, realized afterward that she had stolen it, because obviously they undid the camel at some point. They realized the truffle were there. I'm sure that he, it was in his mind, I better not say anything. Yeah. That's a really good call as well. There, there are a lot of things in which you wonder about the Piskon As Shnei Tamis, right? You can kill my two children, Ruvain, Ruvain said, right? In, in, in order to go. Yeah, it's very strange. That I can't tell you. But the Ayel Shachar says it's likely he didn't say it. But the Balitosa seemed to indicate that Imamish said it. Maybe he did so because he already knew once there's a Chazakah or something, there's nothing your Piskon can do. Once the Chazakah is out there, then everything seems to continue. But we do know something, guys. Ein Misa below Chet. That's from two Gemaras. In Baba Basra, on Tez Zayin, Yud Zayin, and Aleph, and in Shabbos, Nun Hei. Ein Misa below Chet. You don't die without any sins. There are four people who went into this world, came to this world, who never sinned. And the only reason why they died is because of the, I guess you could say, of the Eitzadas. Because the Eitzadas happened, and other Marishan had to eat from it. There's, those are, that's what's mentioned over there. Who are those four? Binyamin at Sadik, Amram, the father of Moshe, Yishai, the father of David, and Kilov, the son of David, who's also known as Daniel. Binyamin at Sadik never sinned. So why did Yaakov Avinu think that something was going to happen to Binyamin? He never did a sin to deserve to be killed. 
Ain misa belochet. There's no such thing as misa belochet. Now, I was thinking the easy answer to me was maybe he didn't know. Maybe he had no idea. Maybe he thought that Binyamin had sinned at some point. But I would imagine that if there were Mikubalim in the last century who were able to look at people's foreheads and see if they had sins, then Yaakov you know, himself would be able to look at Binyamin and see that he didn't have any sins. So I don't know if that's a real to be over here. Maybe that's the Pshat, but the Yazza Shachar definitely says that. Maybe the Pshat is maybe something would happen to Binyamin on the way to Mitzrayim. That maybe Binyamin at Tzedek, as of right now, had not sinned. You know why he hadn't sinned? Because he never left his father's side. He had never sinned because he was with his dad the whole time. He hadn't left anywhere. So of course he didn't sin. But if he goes down to Mitzrayim, maybe something will happen. And if something does happen, then I do have to worry about it. Maybe that's the shot behind it. That was the reason why he said, I can't let him go. I'm afraid of him doing something. And that sin will be so great, he'll end up being punished for it. And who knows what's going to be. And the truth is, is that exactly what Yosef Atzadik pretended that happened? First time Binyamin left the house, right? And what does he do? He steals the silver cup of Yosef Atzadik, the silver goblet, and puts it in his bag. That's what he faked. He faked it to say, because Binyamin had never been outside the house before. He saw a silver cup. He wanted it. Why shouldn't he take it? It was as if Yosef Atzadik was making, making it seem like he had just done that. Now the Shvatim came. We're going to the next passage. They came, among all the other people that were coming. Now this is a very interesting little measure and things like that. Sforno says, times of hunger are horrible times, and it's extreme. Nobody should ever travel alone. See, even the Shvatim, even though they were strong, very, very strong guys, they wouldn't go by themselves. They had to go with a group. They came in with a bunch of other people that came to Mitzrayim to make sure they went with a caravan just just in case something happened. Rashi says they were hiding themselves. Not only did they come in, they hid themselves among others so nobody would realize they were coming in together. Yaakov told them to do this. Lama Tisro, why should you go in and show off yourselves? Because you're big, strong guys. Ten big, strong guys coming in together through one gate of Mitzrayim might look a little strange. And people might look at you askance wondering who are these people and why are they here together. So therefore, you don't need Dayan Hara and you don't need people thinking bad things about you. So therefore, walk in separately. And each guy, separated from the others, went in Bayim. They had a bunch of other people. Stood with them. Another guy stood this way. Another guy went that way. They separated from each other. They could see each other. I'm sure they were around each other. But they came Bayim to specifically to make sure that no Nobody thought that they were coming in together itself. There's an Akhlas Yaakov over here. But there may be another hint over here. The Chassam Sofer, in his non-Kabbalistic, Kabbalistic way, said there were specifically ten people that went to Mitzrayim. It was Bidafka, ten people. Not nine, not eleven. It was ten. And the reason why is because nine and eleven are the numbers of Klipos. I don't, I don't know what this means exactly when it comes to Tuma, right? But 9 and 11 are numbers that are bad. 11 is the 11 of the Samani HaKetores, of the spices of the Ketores. 9, I think the Pshad is from the places in Devarim that are mentioned regarding Musr. But this way, right, they would have Kedusha Bichal upon them. They would have 10 people that would be Kedusha. And then the trip would be successful. Yosef Atzadik realized that and wanted to take away that ability so they wouldn't come down again without Binyamin, and took Shimon away from them and put him in jail, said, how many people went back? Nine. So if Yaakov wanted to send them back, with ten, he would have to send Binyamin. He would have no choice but to send Binyamin. Maybe that's the pshat, why he specifically took Shimon away, to make sure, because Yaakov wanted specifically ten, right? And instead they had that. But that's one of the Ramazan that I mentioned over here. The Nitziv says this is a remez for the future. When B'nai Yisrael in the future will be mishabed to the other nations, we, they are not going to be the only nation captured. We're going to be b'socha bo'im. In Bavel, 
when we were taken to Bavel, we were not the only nation that went to Bavel. They took the Lebanese or whoever was in Lebanon at the time. They took the Pelishim. They took people from the Jordan area. They did not just take Jews. The Romans, the Romans were in charge of everything. It wasn't just us that went to Edom. Yavan as well. And so too with everybody. We were just Bisoch There were other people along with us. It wasn't just us. And that's a very important point that Bnei Yisrael over here is referring to the Bnei Yisrael in the future. We always come Bisoch We're never by ourselves. It's not just us and our enemy. There's always something else with us. Now, Yushalmi Brachos, it says in Parag Zion, learns from this Pasuk that a Dabr Shebegdusha should not have less than 10 people. Now, where do you learn Minion from? Where do we know that there's such a thing as a Minion? That you got to have 10 people. Where do we get it from? So we don't, because Abraham Avinu never had 10 people with him. Right? He never had nine. We learn from him the makomatfila, that you have to have a makomatfila where you can sit in daven. That's what the Gemara Brachos says. But a minion? Where do we get a minion from? Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah, that's what you're talking about. Sidom with the ten righteous people. Now that's true, but that doesn't mean a minion in a Dabrashib Gdusha. That does mean that ten people have the power to save a city. And that's true because the Shrina rests upon ten people. That's what we learn in Perkiavos, right? That is true. But a minion? How do we know I need a minion for Borhu or for Kedusha? Maybe six is good enough. Maybe five is good enough. Where do I learn ten specifically? So this Kamari Yushalmi says it comes from here. It says Toch. V'nikdashti besoch b'nei Yisrael. I say kedusha besoch b'nei Yisrael in the tocha b'nei Yisrael. And over here it says the shvatim came besoch habayim. The word toch over here, the word toch over there, are connected to gzera shava. Toch toch. That tells me just like over here there were ten shvatim that came. So to whenever you do v'nikdashti, whenever you do kedusha, you need to have ten people. We learn out from over here. That's the Yerushalmi. In the Bavli, surprisingly, it learns it from another place. You know where we learn it from? From the Meraglin. He budlu mitocha eda haroazos. Get away from the toch of this evil eda. From the ten Meraglin that were evil, he was told to stay away from them. That's where we learn you have to have a minion. Is that unbelievable? We learn minion from the Bafli, from Gemara Brachos. We learn it from the Meraglin, from evil people. But over here, we're learning it from the Shvatim. So it's such a strange thing. The Rabbeinu Bechaya in Parsha Samor says, in Gemara Brachos, you got to learn like the Yushalmi did. Take out, it's a mistake, he says, to learn from the Meraglam. You don't learn from the Meraglam. Learn from this. This is the right one. You learn from the, the children of Yaakov. You don't learn from the Meraglam who are evil people. You learn from these people. The strangest thing in the world. So why in the world would the Babli use this? So the Torah Shlema, Rabbi Menachem Kasher, says the real drush over there in Sanhedrin is about Kiddush Hashem. That in order to make a Kiddush Hashem, you need 10 people. Not just Kiddusha and Kaddish. That's a side note in the, the Babli. The, the real point is, you have to make a minion. You have to have a minion of people in order to make a Kiddush Hashem to die al Kiddush Hashem. But those 10 people cannot be non-Jews. It's 10 Jews. You can't learn that from Bnei Yaakov, from the Shvatim. Because the Shvatim were not Jewish. You have to learn that from 10 Jews. Where do you see the word toch means 10 Jews? Only by the Meraglim. You don't see it by anywhere else. You only see it by the Meraglim themselves. That's an unbelievable Torah Shlema, but he says that's the idea. Either way, the Chsam Sofer says, even when Yosef threw them all in jail, they didn't have any charata for anything. Because they said, Yosef throws us in jail, we still have a minion. That's what the Chsam Sofer says. We still have a minion. We can still do Kiddusha. We'll have Chazar Sashatz. We'll do Birchaz Kohenim. Chassam Sofer says this. We'll be fine. As long as we have our minion, we'll be able to do, we're fine. We don't have to, have to do any vidui whatsoever. 
only when he took them out, took Shimon away from them and threw Shimon in jail, all of a sudden they looked at each other and said, uh-oh, what did we do wrong? All of a sudden they said to themselves, now we did something wrong. We have to be guilty. We must have done something wrong. As long as they had a minion, there was nothing to worry about. Once they lost their minion, then they were worried. Now they were really, really worried because now they could be bottled from their Dvarim Shebe Kedusha. It's really unbelievable. That's when they had Harata. Because that minion was so strong, something with them, that they were able to have. The Mihamoi says, they made a minion. I, I, I can't even believe this is, this is so, but the Mihamoi brings down. They made a minion for Borchu, Kaddish, Kedusha, Kriya Torah, and Berchas Kohanim. Even though none of those things existed in the times of the Shvatim, obviously. But they made it for all of it. They did it for all of it. The Torah Shlema brings this down from a medrash that they did it for all these types of Kaddish, Kedusha, etc. And Kedusha Rim says it's specifically from the word Toch. Because when Bnei Yisrael gather together to do these holy things, it's as if the panemius is misora within a person. Your inside grows. You feel something from it. That's what happens when you get a minion together. It's really an unbelievable line. Listen, if you have nine people together, nine people together, there's, not a chiyuv, but it's so important to try to see if you can get a tenth. Can you find somebody? We had our Pesach Seder, not too long ago, my parents' house, three years ago. We had nine men that were there. And I did everything I could to get them. Eventually, we got somebody to come by a little bit later so we could do hollow with a minion. To get ten people to be able to sit together and do it together to make it like a minion on Seder night or by a, a, a benching, whatever it is, is so important, so great. The Shvatim weren't worried about anything until they lost their minion. That's the line that you learn from over here. Now, Yosef Atzadik was the shalit, getting to the next pasuk. He was the ruler over the land. Although we know that Paro was in charge, Yosef Atzadik was considered the king of Mitzrayim. And in fact, Yosef Atzadik, according to Victor Miller, was the longest reigning king in Jewish history. 80 years he was in charge of the nation, 71 years in charge of Klau Yisrael. Because remember, nine years, seven years of the famine and two years of the, of the plenty until the Shvatim came. But 71 years he was king over Bnei Yisrael, 80 years in charge of the nation of Mitzrayim, even though he wasn't Paro. He wasn't the godly figure in charge, but he was the man in charge of the entire nation. This is what happened over here. There are seven Midrashim that it verified that Yosef is considered Mamish a king, that he wasn't a second in command, only a Mishnah Lamel. He was Mamish the king and in charge. The next person, does anybody know who the second longest reigning king was? The answer, it's 55, 55 years. Do you know what it was? I'm sorry? Devon Melch wasn't that long. Devon Melch was only 40, if that, 33 and a half, 30, yeah, 32 and a half, right? But it was Menasheh. Menashe was 55 years. Menashe, the evil king, he had done evil things for 22 years, Chuva for 23, right? Or according to one sheet of the Gemara, but Menashe was the second the longest reigning king. It's crazy to think that Yosef was the longest altogether. The Ramban says this entire thing doesn't make any sense at all. You mean to tell me that he was the Mashbir? over the entire land. He's sitting, this is like Jeff Bezos going down and like working in the Amazon offices and giving out all the Amazon stuff. Like, oh, this guy ordered that, let's send this to that guy. This guy ordered that, let's send this to that guy. Yosef Atzadik is sitting there in his throne room giving out grain to people. That's what he's doing. He has nothing better to do. A good boss is someone who's able to oversee others and make sure that they're doing things properly. If Yosef had to get himself involved, that is extremely inefficient. That is unbelievable inefficient. I can't imagine that anybody ever got their food. How in the world? They all had to go to him? Well, yeah. I thought this was a whole Egyptian scheme to basically get titles for land. Yosef, it's not a scheme. Right, I'm saying the scheme was... From the Egyptians. 
saying he, he did it to get from the Egyptians. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's from well, the Egyptians. The from the world, from the world, he yeah, had a whole plan. No, no, that wasn't for like he never got land from them. He never owned their land. Yeah, that he got, but that was that. He definitely did that. I'm sorry. Yeah, he got money. He got everything from that. He took everything in the world. We're talking the most... But it doesn't make any sense that he's there. He has to stand there by every single transaction, making sure it goes through. Nobody would do that. No boss would do that. And if they do that, it just means you don't trust anybody, which could be, which could be, but that seems to be inefficient. So it could be, again, he did it on purpose. Chizkuni and the Tzedek said exactly this. He knew that the Shvatim were going to have to come to him for food. He was monitoring the situation in Eretz Yisrael knew that eventually the people were going to come to him. And he wanted to be there when they came. He wanted to be around to see the Shvatim when they came in to see what would happen. And because he did that, the Chizkuni and the Tzedek say, he specifically had everyone come to him as he was monitoring the situation to make sure that he would see when those people would come. The Ramban suggests another answer. That Yosef had questioned everyone who came from every land. He was not in charge of giving out the food. He was going to every person there saying, what's it like in your land? You come from Namibia. What's going on in Namibia? What's going on in Ethiopia? What's going on in Saudi Arabia? What's going on in the land of Canaan? What's going on in Eastern Europe? What's going on in every place? He was asking every single person what was happening by them so he could find out from them what was going to happen. And that way, he would know how much they needed, when they would need it by, how much they would need it for. Because otherwise, people come in and say, I need you know, 50,000 pounds of grain. I'm not giving you 50,000 pounds of grain because that means you might be taking way too much. Then you'll overcharge people when you leave, right? You'll take it and you'll make your own secondary, you know, I don't know, I guess secondary market for food outside. And I'm not doing that, said Yosef. You are getting exactly what you need and your family and that's it. So he questioned everyone. And he wanted to do this in order to find out exactly what they needed to make sure. And he talked to everyone he possibly could. Swarno says, simply put, Yosef did not trust anyone. Way too much money involved here. He knew that the Egyptians were not trustworthy. If he went to them and he said to them, this is what you need to do, he was worried what was going to be over here. So he was involved in every aspect of the sales, going over the numbers every single night to make sure that nothing was falling through the cracks. He was the accountant who's making sure that everything was happening in the right way. The shot says something really, really similar. When it comes to pikuach nefesh, you cannot trust other people if you can do it yourself. People were starving. People would do anything for food. All it would take is a little slip of a $100 bill into the hands of an Egyptian, and all of a sudden that Egyptian would find grain in another place. Yosef Tzedek said, I am doing it myself. He had Rachmanus and everybody, and he was the one who did it to make sure it happened over here. But the Shach says he did it as a simon to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Listen to this. He went to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, I am showing you my anivas, my shiftless. I'm willing to do it myself. God, if I'm willing to do it myself, even though I'm the king, you do it yourself for Klau Yisrael. You do it yourself and help them see that you're the one in charge. I want you, when B'nai Yisrael are going to need this in the future, when they need food and they're starving and things are bad, you put yourself in the right position to help them succeed. You allow them to be the people that they're supposed to be. That's the idea behind it. I want you to help them in Golis. Said Yosef, I'm doing this now so that you do this in the future for Klau Yisrael. And that's a really, really awesome answer. Mayana Shaltaira says, listen to this. Yosef Atzadeh did not take a bite of food all day long until the last person came to buy food. He brings down a measure that says this, that he went all day long, he put himself in the position of hunger, said he could feel the pain of the people there. He did not take a breakfast break, no lunch break, no dinner break. He went straight until they closed the doors, and only then would he eat his supper. Only then would he put together. That shows you what a real person would do. You're in charge. You see something like that. I don't know if anybody's read the stories of, I forgot what his first name is, Sugihara. 
the, uh, the Japanese consul who ended up signing all the papers for the Mir Yeshiva and many other people ended up going to Kobe, Japan and eventually to Shanghai where he signed every paper that no, what did he say, no, um, no visa needed for Curacao or something like that. Curacao, I think it is. I'm sorry. He lost it. Forget about losing his job. He was going without sleep and eating day, day after day after day. He went for three days until they recalled him. For three days straight, he was just signing papers, signing papers, stamping, 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 stamping. And that's a sign of a real tzaddik. A real tzaddik who's willing to do something, which obviously he didn't even know if it was going to help at the time. At the time, it wasn't going to do anything. But he knew it was a chance. There was a chance that it could help. That's the idea. And Yosef Tzaddik also did such a thing. I don't want to say also. I should say Yosef Tzaddik did such a thing way before that ever happened. Willing to put himself in there and say, I'm not going to eat anything until everybody gets what they need to have. Then I'll put myself inside there. But there was a sinister aspect to this as well. Yosef Tzaddik made three rules. And here were the three rules. Number one, slaves cannot come to get food for their masters. Number two, no man can come with two donkeys. You can only take one donkey load with you. And number three, everyone had to write down their name and the name of their father on a piece of paper before they got any food. What was the point of that, do you think? Obviously, he would know exactly when the brothers came into play. The servants wouldn't go because the shvatim had to come themselves. They would have to write their names down. And they could only take one donkey, so all the brothers would end up coming for their families because they all had families. They would all come on their own in order to bring it over there. That's the brilliance behind this plan. So eventually the Shvatim would come and maybe even Yaakovino himself. Yeah. Well, right, he's the father's name. He knows who his father's name is. No, no, no. But what if somebody else is named Yaakov, you know, Reuven? If he just sees a piece of paper that says Reuven, he would know. He needed to see there was a Reuven bin Yaakov and a Shimon bin Yaakov and a Levi bin Yaakov, etc. Then he would go there. So he specifically had them write down. Miyamoe says Menashe was put in charge of all this. And at one point he even opened up just one door, said the other ways of getting Mitzrayim, nobody could get into the other ways of Mitzrayim, forcing everyone to write down their names first, as well as anyone who was in their immediate family, etc., how much food they would need. And they all wrote it down. So what happened was, is that every evening, this notebook would be brought before Yosef attacking Yosef Tzadik would read it through, explaining to those men that the reason why he did so is to make sure that nobody was coming twice. Nobody was coming in again. So he read through the names and he went through everything right over there. Some say the Shvatim came in through different gates. Others say they came in through the same gate. We said that already. Maybe they were trying to hide Besoch Abayim. Either way, one night, Yaakovina reads the paper and he sees Reuven ben Yaakov and Shem ben Yaakov and Levi ben Yaakov and Judah ben Yaakov. So what does he do? He realizes everybody's there but ben Yamin. Every single person's there. He goes and tells his guards, go out, find them, bring them back to me. They go out. It takes them a day or two. But they find them in the Shuk Shelzonos, in the marketplace of the illicit, of, of the woman of ill repute. And the reason why, the reason why they went there, simple. You know why? They were looking for Yosef. They figured, where would Yosef be? The first place he would be, he's a really good looking guy. This is a land of Arias. He's for sure in the Shuk Shalzona. But they thought that low with the brother? I'm yeah. sorry? They thought that low with the brother. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they were willing to sell him. They mamish thought that he was nothing at all. Speaks Lashon Hara about us, pretends to be a Navi. You right? earlier that they did Chuba for that they did, no, no, they didn't do tshuva. They felt guilty. Oh, okay. Maybe they shouldn't have done it in that fashion. Maybe they should have gotten Yaakov Avinu involved. Maybe they should have told Yaakov Avinu. But they didn't feel bad about what they actually did. I don't know if they ever felt bad about it. I, they never asked for mechila. They never got mechila for it. So I don't know if they ever felt bad. But this is what happened. They so found them right over there. Him. I'm sorry? What's the purpose of finding him? Are they going to take him out of there? Find Yosef? Yeah. yeah like, they'll get him back and bring him back to Yeah, they'll bring him back to Yaakov. I, I assume. Like I assume, yeah, I assume they'll do it. Let's see what happens to him and bring him back. I say, like, see, might as well be dead, right? Look what he did to himself. He was just a horrible person. He always was a horrible person. I'm assuming that's what it was. Eventually, we were found by Yosef's guards. They were brought in front of Yosef at Tzadik. And obviously, what happened? They, they, they immediately bowed to the ground, 
which was Mekayim, the dream itself. That's the idea of what happened right there. That's the end of the message itself. Again, at the end of the day, by the way, it was brilliant. That's why Yosef Asad was able to call them Miraglim, spies. Why would he call them spies? Why not anything else? Just why spies? And the answer is because why would you go to the Shuk Shilzonos? You guys don't look like you're the type of people to go to Shuk Shilzonos to hang out with the Zonas. Why are you doing that? Must be you're only going there because who knows all the secrets of the kingdom better than the Zonos do. You go to the Shuk Shilzonos, you'll find out all the secrets. So he said, you're Miraglim. And what are they going to say? They're like, no, we were really there for the Zonos. They couldn't say that because that was a lie and that's not why they were there in the first place. They didn't want to say we were looking for our brother. So they ended up having to go with what they told them. And they said, we're not spies, but we can't explain to you why we were there. So it was just difficult, right? It was a difficult time. We said before that Yosef had never tasted anything all day long, right? Until he fed them. Taurus Chaim Vamuna says that's a sign of a tzaddik yisod olam. Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa. Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Kola olam nizim bishvil Hanina beni. The entire world gets mizonos because of Hanina, my son. Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa, my son, he allows the entire world to get mizonos. The Hanina beni, dailo bekav charuven. It's enough for him to have a kav of charuven every single day. You should have a kav of caribs. You ever had caribs before? Buxer? Worst food in the world, but people love him. Strange people love him, right? Strangest people. They think it's like chocolate. Chocolate has sugar. That's the difference between them, and it's good, right? But they had kav charuven, and that's that. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was the reason for the Parnas of the entire world. Everybody came to him. It's not that he got the Parnas. It's that the Shefa goes down to the Tzadik Yesod Olam and spreads out to everybody else. Yosef Tzadik is the Tzadik Yesod Olam. Everything comes down through him. And then it spreads out to the rest of the world. He is the Tzadik Yesod Olam where everything goes through him. That's the idea of what's referred to over here. He's the Mashbir. He is the one in charge of giving food to the entire land and it's referred to right over here. But he himself he doesn't have any anos olam hazeh. He was the shalit, the ruler, who never would do anything wrong. He ruled over his gashmis and his anos olam hazeh. He was a shalit over his own stuff, but he was mashbir l'chol amaretz. He was able to give out to everybody else there. The Kiddush Levi talks about this as well, but it's the same basic idea over here. The Chida brings a mashal that there was once a king, we'll have to do this quick, that a non-Jewish king was very jealous of one of his Jewish ministers. He knew that the Jewish minister was just, he, was, he had everything. He had become very, very wealthy. He thought that his wealth, the wealth of this Jew, had rivaled his own as the king. It rivaled his own, all the wealth that he had. So he approached him and he asked him, how much money do you own? How much money do you have? He said to the Jew. You guys probably heard this story before, but this is a chidah that brings it down. It's not just you know, one of these late mushals that come in. right? Not even a chavetz chaim. It's a chidah 400 years ago. So Jewish minister realized that the whole thing was a trap, that the king was going to ask him how much money he had, and then he was going to try to take away all the money from him. So Jewish minister did something brilliant. He said, your, your majesty, here's what I need to do. I need to go home. I need to check my accounts. After I check my accounts, I'll go and I'll check and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. So he goes home. He looks through all his accounts, right? And he writes out a number. He brings back the number the next day. He goes over to the king and he brings him a number. King looks at the number and it's a smaller number. Smaller number, right? And he says to him, there's no way this is true. There's no way. There's no way. You own way more than this. You can't tell me that you own only this amount of money. There's no way. There has to be more than this. Where's the rest of your money? So the minister turns to the king and says, your majesty, everything I own really belongs to you. Everything I own really won't see why. Because at any moment, you could take away everything I have. At any moment, you could say, I want your stuff, and I have to give you my stuff. So the money that I think I have, I don't get. What I showed you, this slip of paper, was the amount of money that I've given away to Tzedakah on this past year. The amount of money that I've given to charities and Meister over the past year, that's the money that's truly mine because you can't take that away from me. 
That's the money that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised me. That's the money that's really, really mine. So you're correct. It really isn't the money that I own, but I really own nothing. I own only what I've given through my and nothing else. And maybe that's the remise behind the Pusik over here. Yosef stands for all Jews. If a Yosef wants to keep his money and not lose anything, if a Yosef wants to be a shalit ala aretz, a ruler over the land, a ruler over all of his stuff, he wants to be that way, he must be mashbir lecholam aretz. Give out parnasa to everyone in the ground. If he wants to keep it for himself, he'll never be a true shalit, he'll never be a true ruler because he's just taking and taking and taking. You want to be a real ruler. Mashbir l'cholam Give it out to everyone else there. Then you'll have everything that you need, whether that's an olam haba or anyone else. And then if you do that, if you're a mashbir l'cholam then even vayavo achi Yosef, even your enemies, the brothers of Yosef will come, vayishtach v'lopayim and they'll bow down to you, realizing that you're truly a great person. If you're one that gives away, that wants to give and wants to give and uses their things for the proper idea that it's supposed to be a Kaddish Baruch I'll do what he wants me to do with it, then Vayishtach right. I'm going to end with this Balaturim. It just says, Vayishtach They bow down to him as the same gematria as Bikan Niskayim Achalom. That here the dream has been Niskayim. Both are 772. Yeah, there's an Ateris Ador over here that you can go through yourself, but that's the idea that happened over here. So what we did was, we went into why Binyamin was possibly ready for a tragedy to happen, why Yaakov Avinu was really worried about him, we don't worry about other things. We talked about Bisilcha Ba'im, what it means to come amongst the other people, and finally, the Simen that we have for our Kaddish Baruch, what it means to be the Mashbir over the entire land. Have a good job.